Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Well, good Thursday morning to everybody. I hope you're having a great summer. Today, I'm really pleased to introduce, once again, to you, my friend, Dean Beers, an expert in death investigation and personal injury causation. He's a board-certified legal investigator. He's a board-certified criminal uh, Certified criminal defense investigator, as well as certifications all over the place. Certified medi- medico-legal death investigator. Am I saying that right, Dean? <laughs> medical-legal, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Okay, and he's also recognized as an expert on investigation techniques and principles. Good morning, Dean. Well, good morning, Francie. It's great to be on here again, and I do hope everybody's having a great summer and ready for our Independence Day uh, celebrations. And uh, as a... I haven't spoke to you on the radio since you became a fellow CLI or Certified Legal Investigator, so welcome (laughs) aboard with us. Thank you. And congratulations to you on being elected President of National Council of Investigation and Security Services. That's quite an honor. Uh, It is. I I greatly appreciate that. And of course, I'm following in some great footsteps, which are yours included, and you're for our listeners, also on our executive council, you've been on the board, but you've returned uh, as our secretary. Uh, so uh, we're going to get a lot of things done together. Thank you very much. Uh, a glutton for punishment, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we're in this profession, but I our guess. listeners may I- not realize that. <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. Well, uh, National Council of Investigating Security Services does a great service, I believe, to private investigators and security professionals because we're the ones that represent people in Washington, D.C. when there's uh, either restrictive legislation or legislation that will definitely affect our businesses. Absolutely. I think it's one of the most important associations to be part of and support, and uh, that's why I... Um, an honor to be the president. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you're going to have a good year. And uh, so today we're going to be talking about private investigators and that they're not, they're not all created equal, are they, Dean? No, they're not. Uh, and that's not saying anything bad. Uh, that's just saying that our potential clients, and whether they be attorneys or private citizens and other investigators, just need to realize, you know, we are different. You mentioned some specialties we have here with my wife and our agency. You have your own. Sometimes they overlap, but we need to just understand that, no, we're not, we're not created equal, and, and that could also be a very good thing. Mm, exactly. So what... What, do you, what should you look for? What would you look for if you were starting out to, to locate somebody to work for you as a private investigator? What would you look for? Well, we, have, we recommend you know, five basic principles um, that we can talk about that, that I think are important. If you can't find somebody that fits these five specific qualities, you, you need to look you know, for a different investigator. And I, same thing if you're looking for a doctor and attorney, sort of. Um, you need to find an investigator or be an investigator uh, that has the skills appropriate for the assignment uh, that's at hand, uh, the experience and knowledge. You also need to have the, the responsible and ethical conduct, which is something you know we touch on all the time, especially with NCISS and Ali and a couple others. You also need to be effectively communicative uh, with your clients as well as with 
say, witnesses or people you're obtaining records from and things like that. And then most important, though, you really need to be professional because that's what we are. We're professional investigators. Um, and those are, uh, as we'll expand through the show, those are really the five things that I think are probably uh, the most important And when you start selecting and, and it you know, goes from there. So how do you find somebody who has those five components? Well, you know, uh, the first thing to do is to make sure if your state uh, has licensing, which there's only a few states left that don't, uh, Wyoming, Alaska, uh, Mississippi uh, come to mind. Uh, Colorado is a new one. We've had licensing for a year now. So that's specific to PI licensing. And they all vary and they all differ on what's required uh, for that. And the other thing, whether they're in a licensed state or not, is to make sure they're also licensed as a business. Um, and not just existing with maybe a business card or something like that. So that's something legitimate to check for. And not and why, every. And Shane, oh, why is license? Why is licensing so important? You just went through this in Colorado. So yeah, why is licensing we, so important? We did. We've gone through it for several years. Colorado actually was the first state to have a licensing um, statute, and it was one of the first laws passed when Colorado became a state in 1876. Um, and a hundred years later, to the year. They lost it due on constitutional grounds. I'll save our viewers that 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 long historical, but it's just <laughs> interesting. Um, and so since then, the Professional Private Investigators Association of Colorado had, for over 35 years, worked diligently to try to have some sort of licensing. And licensing is important because it protects the consumer. For one, the consumer knows that this person. Has, make, has attained the requirements in their state. So for Colorado, and California is different, um, Colorado, you, there's an entry level which doesn't have any experience requirement. Some have an issue with that, but you have to understand we've been thir- over 35 years without licensing with, a, with over 700 PIs licensed now, and it would be hard to tell all of them that you couldn't, or by many of them, you could not be in business anymore. But And then the second level we have is if you have over 4,000 hours, and that's verified by the Department of Regulatory Agencies or whatever a state might have, um, California has the BISI. And within that, there's a state and federal fingerprint background check, which is the most important. That lets the consumer know and other PIs that whoever they're dealing with doesn't have a felony record or certain misdemeanors or moral turpitude that might be um, at risk for them. So a, a misdemeanor that's not acceptable, for example, would be a higher level physical assault or domestic violence, sort of the same ones that prevent a person from legally purchasing a firearm or, or holding a job as a teacher and things like that. And those fingerprints are maintained in a database called Raptor at the FBI level, and then there's a state system. And if anybody goes anywhere and commits a, uh, is arrested and convicted of something or even arrested, it's reported and then investigated by what we call DOOR, the Department of Regulatory Agencies, um, to see if there's any violations. The other protection for the consumer is if there's something going on that violates the rules or regulations or the statute, they can report that to DOOR as a complaint, which would be investigated. And we're also required to have a bond. Um, and the bond protects the consumer so that if I collect a retainer and don't perform the work, or whatever, and they file a complaint, the complaint's founded, you know, the retainer they didn't get paid can be recovered from the bond faster than the, than the civil action, and then the bond company would, of course, come after me. But we're professionals, so I would have no reason to do that. Um, 
Colorado doesn't require insurance, um, liability insurance. However, some states do. And I do recommend that when you're looking for a private investigator, that you make sure that they have uh, liability insurance because that actually doesn't protect the consumer as much as it protects the investigator. I just think it's an important thing. Mm. And then on a different note, it protects our profession by making sure we don't have these people in the profession that um, have these felonies or dangerous misdemeanors um, that are or, going to be in fraud, contact with witnesses. For that yeah, fraud. Yep, exactly. So, in fact, there was one that was brought up, uh, you know, where an investigator has a history of, of or a, an applicant, the licensed applicant, had a history of fraud. And, uh, you know, that was one of those things that, that uh, he was screened out of and, and wasn't able to get his license. But, you know, and we had another in Colorado that was going to get out of prison, wanted to be a PI because he was in there for certain crimes. And he thought, which, by the way, were sex crimes. And he thought he would be the perfect person to interview witnesses and victims because he knows what's in the mind of a criminal. Well, we really don't want that. <laughs> so it protects the consumer and our profession by having licensing. And I'm not a big person on over-regulation or over-licensing. However, I did support this, and I do think it's important, and I do think it protects consumers in our profession very much so. Yeah, so absolutely the two main components would be that if somebody has a problem with a private investigator, they have some place to go to make a complaint. Otherwise, it's a, a long, involved civil suit. And then right. secondly, uh, you're ensured that at least they have some basic skills or they wouldn't have gotten licensed. Exactly. Let me give just a quick example of why it's easier to go that route. You mentioned, you know, the silver routes expensive. So there was a complaint in Colorado under the licensing, the new licensing. One of the five complaints that was reported to Dora was the boyfriend of a victim of a crime, a sex crime, had um, was upset that the defense investigator had contacted her to interview her. He thought that was unethical and against the law. Well, you and I both know as doing these types of cases, that's not. But he didn't know. So imagine if he sued or made a police complaint um, against that PI, which is now going to be expensive and problematic. But instead, he made this person made a complaint against his license. They investigated and they found that the investigator hadn't committed anything illegal or unethical. And a letter went that, you know, explained that and everybody's happy, so to speak, happy. Um, but imagine if they didn't have that. And our opponents to licensing kept saying, well, they can take the civil or they can go to law enforcement and make a complaint. But it's very, it, it, you can lose your business over that um, mm-hmm. and your reputation. So that's just a better way to go. Yeah. And, and it's very costly. Uh, few attorneys take contingency cases any longer. So it's very costly to pursue a civil suit uh, on, a contra- on a, any kind of a business basis. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. The American Bar Association made it very difficult for attorneys to accept contingencies on on such as contract violations and things like that. Uh, Personal injury, of course, those contingency fees remain in many states. But yeah, it it can be. And and I don't know many consumers that can afford to write an attorney a check for five or ten thousand dollars for their own plaintiff action. And then if the investigator is insured, as I mentioned, you know, do they want to take that hit on their insurance, um, knowing they haven't done anything, but their rates are going to go up and they may have difficulty being insured at a later date if, um, you know, without that. So there's a lot of protection. I think it's, uh, something that, and that's why it's number one on our list, uh, to make sure that they have the appropriate, uh, um, well, it's actually not number one, it's on down, but, um, 
but they do have the appropriate licensing and things. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, okay, so you want to look for somebody that's licensed, that, first of all. Correct. And in a, in a state that isn't licensed, what would you suggest there? Uh, at the very least, they check and make sure they do have a business license. And not just that they have the business license, but verify that information. Um, you know, is that, you know, uh, address a valid address? There's, I mean, any business can create an invalid address. Um, uh, have they been around very long? I mean, Colorado, I was in business for uh, 25 years before we had licensing. Um, and I've been deposed and on the stand and been asked why I don't have a license in Colorado. And attorneys didn't realize they're, you know, prosecutors especially, or somebody just couldn't believe we didn't have licensing. Um, Mm -hmm. But somehow you can, you know, we have websites now and Facebook pages and things, so you can look and see what's there and then verify that information about their experience. And, you know, if nothing else, contact people that use private investigators, contact attorneys or somebody and say, you know, who do you use um, that that would fit with this? and then there's forums out there that have lists of investigators. But the other thing I would do is if you're in Colorado, California, whatever state, look for their state association because they're usually vetted. Uh, Colorado PPIC, uh, long vetted by a complete thorough background. Um, every applicant that came in because we didn't have licensing, so we could assure that. Mm-hmm. Uh, California has theirs. It's the largest one in the world, actually, um, Cali. So check those things and see if they're a member because there's usually background verified. Um, plus, you might have a place to make a complaint to. Um, so that'd be one. And then if you're not sure where to go, I say go to NCISS, which is NCISS.org, or you and I are also members of NALI, N-A-L-I.com, uh, and, and see if there's investigators there because for NCISS, you have to be licensed if you're, you know, in order to be a member, unless you're in an unlicensed state, and then we verify other credentials. And NALI, you have to have experience and, and certain things in order to be a member. Um, so there's a lot of avenues that a person can take to make sure that they get somebody that um, is at least vetted. Uh, the yeah. quali- qualifications go from there on a personal interview type thing, but at least you know they're vetted. So, so NALI is actually the Association. National Association of Legal Investigators. If anybody's interested in that, it's um, you can just Google National Association of Legal Investigators. And the same thing with NCISS. Uh, you could you could Google NCISS or National Council of Investigative and Secure Investigation and Security Services. So, so how do you find somebody with the skills you need? Well, that can be a little more difficult. Um, because, for example, if you're looking for somebody that has surveillance skills, which is popular for workers' compensation, the attorneys usually know or the insurance companies usually know who to go to. But if you're looking for somebody like domestic surveillance, such as a marital issue, uh, that might be a little more difficult. So you might refer to it, you know, maybe an attorney might know or colleagues at work or neighbors and things like that might know. You know, the old days of looking in the yellow pages was one thing, but you, even if you Google or look on one of these directories, you know, you need to make sure that you vet them. I mean, interview them on the phone or in person before you retain them. Make sure that they're not listing a hundred different specialties or two dozen different specialties. Maybe if they list surveillance or domestic surveillance as their primary issue and maybe they only have two or three others, then you know that might be a place to start instead of somebody that there's, in our opinion, there's almost no more general practitioning 
uh, private investigators. It's just not possible. Some places there are because of a small population or rural populations, but anymore, people tend to be a little more specialized. They might do criminal defense or mitigation like yourself. Um, they might do civil plaintiff, which is a lot of what we do, and then we do criminal defense as well. We do we provide experts. I mean, really, we only provide about three main specialties for us, um, mm-hmm. and that's what we focus on, and that's where we keep our continuing education at. Um, so you, you really need to interview a person and make sure they're right for you and see what their certifications are, see what their continuing education is. Ask them if they have a CV um, a curriculum vitae or a resume or anything like that and verify some of that stuff because consumers are going to spend, you know, I don't know, on average, I'm thinking between 75 and even 150 an hour, depending on where they're at and what they're doing. For an investigator, it's not as expensive as an attorney, but you don't just walk into an attorney and write a check. You really want to make sure you're comfortable. And same thing with the private investigator if you're hiring one privately. Exactly. So, um I think people would probably be very surprised to know there's there's probably oh I don't know thirty or more specialties of private investigation. Oh yeah, at the very least, I mean everything from just skip tracing, which is finding a person uh, for different reasons, um, to surveillance, to uh, uh, inheritance uh, and genealogy specialties and things like that. So yeah, there can be you know easily thirty main. Um, uh, specialties, and every investigator should know how to conduct interviews, conduct background investigations, conduct some locates, you know, some of the basic things we all have to do and learn from in the beginning, and they're part of every type of investigation. Um, and then from there, like, asking me to do surveillance isn't going to happen. I, you know, <laughs> right, we'll talk I mean, about that just, in a minute. Just we, not. Need to take, <laughs> we need to take a break. Uh, Dean, okay. we'll be right back. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. Cali's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact Cali at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You're 
listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Dean Dears is the newly elected president of the National Council of Investigative and Security Services, and he's here today to talk. And we're talking about uh, what to look for in hiring a private investigator, and what kind of skills should they have, and that kind of thing. And Dean, I just we just both cracked up when you said <laughs> if you were hired to do surveillance, it's not going to happen. Surveillance, I think, is the hardest job in the world. I, you know, I. I I was telling you on our break, I've done it one time. I mean, long surveillance. I've done surveillance for process serving and skip tracing, but those are, are short, short and to the point. But no, it is hard work. I mean, you're not just sitting in a car with a camera. You have to, I mean, background your target. You have to know the ethics, such as you can't contact your target. Um, what are you going to do if somebody, you know, as they say in the business, burns you, where you get caught? What, how are you going to um, sort of speak escape? You know, um, not mm-hmm. maybe literally, but escape, you know, the contact. Um, you know, what are your skills? And you're sitting there. Um, I mean, the simple things like how do you take care of potty breaks? How do you take care of nutrition? And then sitting, you know, you may be sitting in a car for a couple hours or over a dozen hours. You may be working as a team. I mean, these are things that the experts I know explain and a lot of people think, well, I'm just going to get in the PI world and I'm going to jump into surveillance because I can just sit in my car and, and, and watch, you know, think, you know, things on my phone and play games while my video recorder's going, but it's just not that easy. Um, and that's part of the interview. I mean, you need to know how your, how your investigator is going to feel about surveillance when you talk to them and what their experience is. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And, and what about other kinds of experience for other types of cases? How about, how would you go about, uh, if you were looking for somebody, say, to do a toxic waste case? Say you had a, a, a case where, um, say, the attorney contacted you and he was looking for somebody to explore toxic waste that be, was being dumped at a particular site. What kind of skills sure. would somebody need to have for that? Well, you know, that's one of those where, for example, Maui um, has a list of specialties that would include somebody that does environmental investigations. So you'd want right. to see that. And they should have an educational background as well as an experienced background that supports that. And you're probably going to get to a near an expert level uh, for the investigative purposes and, and the attorney may hire or that investigator may also be an expert, but you know, you're going to have to know, they need to understand, and I'm, I, I don't completely understand, but I, I know enough to know when I'm wrong about something, but they're going to have to understand, you know, the environment, what, if, for example, we're looking for, well, we did have a case a long time ago where we needed to demonstrate that a person was putting waste from a ta- home taxidermy business into the sewer, and, and there, there was issues with um, surveillance that some people we hired to do for us, but... There are things that get involved, such as uh, shipments of chemicals, chemicals used. I mean, what is used in a taxidermy shop? And how does that affect groundwater and wastewater? And is there a way to collect that and have that tested? And what is the process you do? So we need to know, as an example, you know, about ethics and trespassing. I mean, I can't walk onto a person's property and collect wastewater. Um, 
you know, that might be there. Exactly. And then at the same time, I'm not going to stand there while they're dumping it down the sewer at their driveway uh, and collect it in front of them. So you have to, you know, do that. So an investigator that does environmental investigations will be able to uh, help with that. But then there's also the reports, an investigator that understands the environmental impact reports that are put out there and what are you know, for example, well, many of us are familiar with the pool, and you have alkaline and things like that that you test for in the pool, and that's a simple thing. And you can read that in a report, but, but a big, long report about environmental impact and damage, which might be from toxic waste, um, animals. Uh, you know, one thing, we're near Colorado State University where they do have a big environmental program uh, in their studies, and there's environmental pr- impact that impacts animals. So if you have a large population of, for example, uh, ground ho- um, um, groundhogs and prairie dogs, and then all of a sudden that population is dwindling. Why is that? And um, that might be due to toxic waste. So that's going to be, and, and that is important to ask for. And attorneys are usually in insurance companies are the ones that would want something like that. And then there are very specific associations that have um, those types of things. So, for example, a fraud investigator, there's the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners, um, right. the CFE is Certified Fraud Examiner. So you would look to that association to see if there's somebody qualified in that. And there are there's associations for just about everything. Arson investigators, uh, vehicle crash investigators, engineering. Um, I'm a member of the Inner Circle of investigator, Investigators, which does have a a panel of investigators and experts in just about everything and investigators that work for large law firms that do, for example, environmental uh, investigations and and civil actions, uh, class actions. So it's possible to find an investigator appropriate for just about anything uh, if if you can look in the right place. If I say, Dean, if I got a call like that from from an attorney saying they were, sometimes you get calls, somebody's referred to you and and they want that kind of a, of a case investigated, I would, I would say I'm, you know, I'm not qualified to do that. I right. let me refer you either to Nancy Barber in San Francisco or Carol Moore in Florida, to do that kind of a case. Carol Moore's a great one. She's done some great ones against uh, some very large companies. She was coming to mind as we were talking about this. Absolutely, um, and Carol Moore's a past national director of Nally. Um, right. And and. Uh, absolutely, you would do that. And we do get calls like you. We be, and and it's not for any particular reason, but we get calls for, from existing or, or non-existing clients wanting to know, you know, about, can we do this or do we know who would do that? And that's one of those, we're not all created equal. I mean, private investigators, we're all different. So if somebody wants, you know, I'm not going to take a case that we can't do. Mm-hmm. And the client's going to know that right away. And I don't think uh, professional investigators should take cases that they can't do. Some say, yes, take it no matter what and deal with it when you get it. I think that's a disservice. I think we I can, you know, contract or subcontract or direct refer as we referral as we call it, um, and help them find that and better serve your client that way instead of trying to wing it as you go along. Um, you know, it's just not a good idea. It's a disservice. And those listening that that are looking to to hire investigators for whatever reason, you know, keep in mind that if you hire somebody that hasn't done the type of work before, or they're not at a very substantial experience in it, you're probably going to start paying more no matter what their hourly rate is just because of the learning curve that a person goes through or the or you may be paying for, for work product that is no use to you because in the end, the target 
that the target of the investigation wasn't ever focused on. Instead, they spent a lot of time trying to get to the point and just never got to it. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, a lot of times people think that if somebody's been former law enforcement, they have all the skills that are required to do any and every case. But what really happens with law enforcement is the rules, when you get out in the private sector, the rules all change. And they do, so, and there's some... Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. sorry, go ahead. Well, the rules do change, and I, and I was going to say, I, I think Cali has, and I know Florida does, um, a program specifically to help, and, and our PPIC did one, to help law enforcement understand and transition into the private sector because right. the rules do change. Our access, uh, our skill sets, I mean, and we even had a de- debate in, in the licensing stages, you know, if somebody's been in law enforcement for 20 years, should they get a PI license? And we said no. But if they've been investigative, you know, for a period of time, then yes, that experience should qualify. But if they've been doing a patrol car for 20 years and never did any kind of investigative other than, you know, the typical field work, you know, probably not. I mean, not not for the experience that they would want to put down, but they might have a lot of other good experience um, with that. So, you know, and, and just because a person has worked in a field does not mean they're competent in it. Um, right. I think that's an important, uh, and you and I deal with this all the time. Um, you, you know, we background the people that our clients are going to be calling as witnesses, whether they're lay witnesses, you know, fact-finding witnesses or um, expert witnesses. You know, is a person really, you know, qualified at all, or do they just have experience that really isn't compatible, like you mentioned, law enforcement or something like that? You know, it's, it can vary greatly. Well, like, for example, a big, a big issue is when you're in law enforcement, you can record any, anyone at any time surreptitiously. You can record a, a defendant, you can record a witness, you can record somebody out on the street. But in, at least in California, it's a two-party recording state. So you can't record anybody without permission from that person. So they have to know you're recording. Now, that's not true in other states, but you have to know the laws of, what, of the kind of case you're, you're working on. Very much so. And that's a good point, Francie. And, and it's an important point. When I bring up all the time in ethics, uh, is that recording? Um, because we are restricted. Now, if we're doing, uh, and there's a different, I mean, investigators say, well, for example, Colorado is a two-party state. I, I understand. So I can record whatever I want and not let the other person know. Well, there's there's an ethics issue, though, for example. And in Colorado, in the ABA, which would exclude California to a point because it is a two-party state, but in criminal defense, I can surreptitiously record, surreptitiously record a statement, which, really? you know, but only under specific circumstances. Mm. And, it, and it's detailed there when I can do that. It's not a good idea. Uh, and it's basically, with, if it's the only way you're going to obtain that information that you would not be able to otherwise obtain and document, memorialize. So, you know, if you're in a certain setting where the person's not going to talk to you um, if they see a recorder. But the, I don't even remember the last time I did that because most of my attorneys don't want it done because they don't want that to come up at all. Now, in a civil case, you can't do it unless you disclose it. To, and get their permission, and that recording is is going to be disclosed to the other side. So you have to be very careful if you're going to do, and the CLI com- chair, uh, committee, we're discussing that 
um, taking recorded statements uh, along with taking written statements because it is a changing thing. And there's a lot of ethics issues involved in the state law now. There's, there's issues involved, and the laws change state to state and sometimes by jurisdiction to jurisdiction. True. So Absolutely you really true. need to know the law of, of the kind of case you're working on and, and what the rules are. Absolutely. Well, let's take our readers on an example. So I'm in Colorado, and you're in California, where I – so from Colorado, I can record if I want without telling you. This is just as a person, not as an investigator. But you're in California, so – because you're in California, I'm actually now become under the two-party deal. So I really can't record the conversation, and some people don't understand that. But let's just say you're on a cell phone and you're traveling through Colorado. You know, do I really know where you are? Or say I have a Colorado cell phone and I end up in California. Mm-hmm. Where I'm located changes the rules. So not only do we have to know the rules, but we have to know where our subject is. Right, that's right. So, we, and we have to ask them. You know, I mean, we we interview a lot of college students because we're near two in in one college town and near another, um, actually two or three. Uh, and these college students may be in Colorado during a motor vehicle accident, but they may go back home to California, New York, or wherever. And we have to say, so you know, are you in New York? I mean, we're going to get their permission anyhow. But as a layperson, we. People need to understand how that works. So I think that's a very important point. We have laws and ethics to think about, and that's one of those things that investigators really need to understand and have, and it does change constantly. Um, It changes for investigators and it changes for attorneys. Mm -hmm. And if we're working for attorneys, we're their agent and they can get a complaint against their license just as much as we can get a complaint against ours if we do something as their investigator that's wrong. Exactly. Exactly. Now, um, Dean, how do you how do you feel about uh, asking for referrals from somebody you're interviewing uh, to take over a job like investigation? Referrals from pri- like from prior clients. Oh, okay, okay. Um, so, if I have attorney A um, and I want to go to them and, and ask for a referral from them, you know, to other attorneys. Right, or or even if uh, say say I want to hire a private investigator, and I'm talking to you, Dean, uh, and I'm considering, uh, you know, I'm talking to several investigators. I'm considering you, and I want to know who you oh, in worked for in the past. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh, sure, sure. I think I think that's an important uh, thing to think about. That's just as much. I mean, if a person is not willing to give you, if they say, "Well, that's confidential. I can't tell you who they are." I I have a slew of clients. I'm willing to tell anybody they can call. There are some that I can't tell who to call. They might be one time. We do a lot of family death cases. Why well, I don't know that I would have to get their permission. I wouldn't because it because of the sensitivity of death more than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, and I don't want to disclose. Uh, the things about a client to another person, but we have, I mean, several attorneys and we ask them in advance, you know, do you mind if we, you know, give you information out of somebody asked, because that's a good way to go. It's no different than a job application. Uh, if you're putting down referrals, I, I don't have a problem with that. I think it's a good idea. I wouldn't say that if a person says no, that I can't give you referrals, that that's necessarily a totally bad, but I think it would be a concern. And I, would follow that up with exactly why not and, uh, you know, fine. But I, you know, because maybe they just don't understand that they really can, you know, say, yes, you can call this client and just get that client's permission first. And, you know, 
that they're okay with that. Plus, it's a good well, way for you to find out if you're making that client happy. Exactly, and it would seems like it would particularly go to um, whether you have the skills for that type of case. For instance, if they're giving, if you're talking about a criminal defense case, and you're giving them a criminal defense attorney to talk to, uh, versus if you're doing a toxic waste case, and you you would talk to somebody that has been doing, uh, you know, hiring you for toxic waste investigations. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you wanted to hire me. For surveillance, and I can only give you criminal defense people. That might that be a be red a flag that I'm not doing surveillance. You know, yes, we do call that a clue. <laughs> so yeah, I, I I think referrals are 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 a good idea, and I, I would be concerned if somebody's not willing to give them to you. But I wouldn't have that as like a hundred percent bad. I would, if I were the potential client, I would follow up with, you know, well, why not? You know, yeah, and and see where it goes, and 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 be feel free to walk away. Exactly, exactly right. And um, I, I know there's the fees are all over the place. You know, um, people typically charge what the market will bear. And I, I know you mentioned, um, you know, 75 to $150. It, it could be higher, it could be lower. But oh, absolutely, it could be, yeah. Um, there are investigators, retired law enforcement, for example, is one um, that a lot of them are willing to take a very low wage because they have a retirement and they feel that's okay. I personally think it hurts the profession and I think it, it hurts the client actually. And I think it hurts the PI. Um, you know, I mean, do they, you know, they say, well, I can only work, I work a few hours a week and go fishing. Well, I don't know if you're going to work for 30 or $40 an hour and go fishing, what's wrong with charging 75 if the market bears it and going fishing with a little more money in your pocket. Well, the other piece of um, you know, that, too, is do you want to hire somebody who's does it part-time and as it comes in, or do you want to hire somebody that's in the business of private investigation? Well, I'm glad you brought that up, Francie, because that, that is what I explain to people, and, and PPIC has had a lot of part-time people, and to be honest, they don't last long, um, not just as members, but as investigators, mm-hmm. because... It, you can't survive. I've been in business since 1987 when I was 20 years old. Uh, actually, I would have been a year shy of being able to get a PI license today, in all Dean, honesty. Can you, can you hang uh, on to that for just a second? I can. We need to take a quick break, and I want you to be able to expand on this. We'll be right back. Sure. Thank you. You bet. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. Cali's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact Cali at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. 
NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. I cut you off when you were just say, starting to say that you started out when you were 20. I want to hear more about this. That's okay. Uh, well, what I was, yeah, I, I mean, actually, Colorado's a, you have to be 21 to be to get a PI license state. So I would, there's a year I wouldn't have been able to do that. But my point is, I started very young, and I was full time since that day. Um, I, I I literally just started. And I, I marketed and I, I, I foot traffic everywhere I could go to get business and be in business full time. And that's all I've done. I mean, I've had my time at the medical examiner's office and things um, that was full time. That wasn't private sector. But this is what I've done full time. And mm-hmm. I, I honestly have the experience to show for it. Uh, my wife's been full time for, for many years now. Um, but, you know, you asked about part-time people or, or people that are charging a lower wage, or a lower hourly fee, I mean, and there's a lot involved with that. Um, it's not good for business. It's not good for the profession, but it's not good for the client. I mean, if a person is part-time to the point that maybe they're retired, so are they really interested in doing the case or are they just, you know, going to take your case because you're willing to pay them and you're willing to pay them because they're charging a lot less than the other? I mean, right. uh, in our break, I think you mentioned that people say, well, I can go somewhere else and get it for less. And like you, I'm willing to, <laughs> okay, uh, you go ahead. Yep. I mean, yep. I'm not saying my fee's not negotiable. I'm just saying it's not that negotiable, you know. Um, I, I say I'm happy to refer you to somebody that will, yeah, <laughs> that you will charge less. <laughs> because, yeah, because if it's really about money, the, the honestly, it's it, there. It's not about the end result, and 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 you know, the way we work is we want to get it done. We want to give a good quality product, which might be a report, or but at least the outcome. And that doesn't mean the outcome they want, but it's the outcome that we could determine uh, to the best of our ability. And that's what they get for for what they pay us. Um, we're not going to spend hours upon hours upon hours trying to earn enough money. Uh, you know, in our low hourly fee to make up for it. Nope, it's just, you know, uh, we have a lot of clients that we need to take care of and we give each of them the, the very same benefit as the next one uh, to get the very same high quality work product out of out of it in the end. Um, and I know you're that way, but yeah, you know. So you really do as a consumer, I honestly, I mean, I'm not saying you need to pay top dollar, but I'm, I am saying you need to find somebody that has the experience, the qualities, the ability, and then the hourly fee that you're comfortable with, and that is uh, demonstrative of what you you would expect. And and the reason I have difficulty with people who do 
part-time investigations is because it feels like there's a level of commitment that uh, maybe, you know, maybe they are totally committed to the case, but there's a difference in running a business where you are providing your, your income. You're going to be more committed, in my opinion, than if I were just doing it as a hobby. Absolutely. And a, a very simple concept uh, that I explain to people that have never been in business is, look, if I'm not charging the right hourly fee for what we do to pay for any overhead and, and for ourselves and to raise a family, now now we have grandkids, they don't live with us and we don't raise them, but, but you know, we like to spoil them, but, and prepare for retirement. We're, we don't have that to fall back on a previous retirement uh, income. And so we are dedicated. I mean, we have to stay in business. It's not like, you know, well, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. No, after we're going on 29 years this year of me being in business, you know, that doesn't mean I'm going to be in business for year 30. I have to do this every day, uh, you know, and be in business every day in order for it to succeed because it's a full-time job. It's like any other job, but we also have business responsibilities and that's full-time as well. So very good. Yeah, very much, Francie. That's very true. So let's talk, let's switch gears a little bit. Uh, Dean, you've published three books um, that people might be interested in. Tell us about those. Okay. Well, the first one is uh, Practical Methods for Legal Investigations in Civil and Criminal Cases uh, at CRC Press. And that came out in 2010. And that's a textbook. Uh, it has been used as a textbook at, at various community colleges and schools. Uh, and that's for legal investigations. Um, Civil plaintiff primarily, as well as criminal defense. There's a little bit of death investigation in there, but it's it's not like all the other private investigator books because there's a lot of them out there. To me, it's more like a supplement or the next step above the basic book for legal investigators. I like to see it that way. Okay. Uh, and then another, the first one I did is was self published, um, and it started out as just a skip tracing book, and that is professional locate investigations, backgrounds, and assets and liabilities, because all of those actually are pretty much the same. If you're locating somebody, it's almost the same as doing a background. If you're doing a background, it's almost the same process-wise as locating them, same things with assets and liabilities. There's different rules and regulations in what you can and can't do with each of those, but the process, the procedures are almost the same. The records are almost the same. And then we rewrote that and re-edited that, and that, that actually started as a seminar. I used to travel around and do for skip racing. Oh, that's really? how we got mm. started with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's and we publish a lot of articles, uh, and and uh, you know for investigators. I mean, just just because we like to to return to the profession, all the benefits it gave back to us. We well, like Lizzie, to back to the you're profession. saying we that you're talking about your wife Karen, right? Absolutely. Um, who is your business partner? And uh, Absolutely. Karen is also a certified criminal defense investigator and doesn't she has a bachelor's in social work as well? She has a bachelor's in social work, which helps in us working with our family. She also has the same uh, training and experience uh, in death investigation, although she wasn't full time, uh, but she did have a few years uh, there doing that. So that's why we do that together. And we independently review all of our cases uh, and then we sort of speak, get together and have a meeting of the minds on those death cases. So um, that, that helps the client out. 
Um, so yeah, very much. He's my life partner and my, my business partner and uh, very important to everything I do, actually. Yeah, um, and you guys co-authored so, yeah. uh, The Survivor's Guide. Yeah. Um, and The Survivor's Guide, yeah, that would be the third book. Um, and The Survivor's Guide is not intended to be a course on death investigation, which we did create a course for PI education um, on, on death investigation, which is just a basic primer so that a PI can understand if they should even take the case and start and, and what might be involved. And then the idea is to find somebody like us to, to uh, be the second hand on that um, and, and, and help with the specifics of the case uh, because so maybe they shouldn't wa- even take the case. If somebody wanted to take that course, it's a distance learning course for continuing education, death investigation for private investigators, how would they access it? Right, yeah. Um, investigativecourses.com. And there's other courses on there that we're not, that we did not create, but they're just there for the benefit of private investigators to get involved in. Uh, so that'd okay. be investigativecourses.com. And the survivor's guide is for the, is exactly what that's meant to be. It's a very small book for those that are, have lost a loved one, friend, family, coworker, and simply don't understand the death investigation process and why why is it taking so long? Why is it not mm-hmm. like CSI? That's where it actually got started was the idea that people expected so much and didn't understand why if something happened a certain way, did law enforcement not investigate or and did they investigate properly? I mean, maybe if they read this small book and they find out, you know, I don't think they quite did that right. And and maybe they can go back to law enforcement and say, did you guys do? I mean, I'm not, it's not designed for them to be any kind of investigation, but it's to let them know what's in the background of that. I mean, what really takes place that you don't see on CSI? Why mm-hmm. does toxicology take, you know, a month to several months? Right. Why is DNA not in, in, in 15 minutes? Um, you know, why is it that there's actually two investigations, in some cases, law enforcement and the medical examiner's office. Um, and why is it that one agency can do some things and the other agency can't? Because maybe there's statutes involved, um, maybe there's protocols involved, or, or, or agreements between the, jurisdiction, between the agencies in that jurisdiction on what they do. So it's an informative book just to let people know what really goes on in most typical death investigations and if I could point out, we mentioned law enforcement, and we see a lot of law enforcement, I've testified and been posed that says, do you have experience as a homicide investigator with the police department? No, I don't. And why, you know, that's bad, people think. Not really, because a homicide investigator, I'm not downplaying them. I mean, I think they've, you know, experts in their own right, but perhaps they didn't investigate uh, motor vehicle accidents. Perhaps they didn't investigate uh, certain types of suicides because they were, quote, obviously a suicide. So, you know, we get into that component as well where there is more involved in death investigation than just homicide investigation. And right. perhaps why should a motor vehicle accident be investigated a certain way? Why does, Why is the road closed for seven hours while they conduct an investigation? It's little things like that that they just help the public know that, um, the CSI effect uh, doesn't exist in reality. Um, you mean you and, can't get everything done in an hour? 
as much as we try, and, and we would have to up our early rate quite a bit uh, if, if it was really that easy. But um, but no, it really doesn't. Um, you know, and you know, criminal offense is the same thing. I mean, how many, you know, on TV they they, they almost never show an investigator on the defense um, side right. of things, which. If, if there's not an investigator, personally, it's, uh, and I'm not just personally, but professionally, almost everybody I know would agree, it's ineffective counsel, um, you know, if you don't have an investigator on hand exactly. uh, to, to aid with the case, um, at least at, at its basics. And once you start preparing for trial, then you really have issues involved, you know, um, on that. So, but we're about helping people and we're about helping our profession. That's really what we do. We just honestly have to uh, make a living doing it, and we don't do it part-time, we do it full-time. And, Dean, if somebody wanted to contact you, how would they do that? Well, thanks for asking. I'm glad to share that. Um, Our phone number is in Colorado, and it's 970-480-7793, and they'll get my wife, Rye. Our (laughs) website is um, deathcasereview.com. because that's what we do a lot of. Um, Forensic-investigators.com is another website. And then our email, they just type associates at, and one of those two domains, so associates at deathcasereview.com or forensic-investigators.com, they'll get uh, my wife and I both on that email, and they can reach us that way. And we're certainly glad to to share with any of our investigative colleagues, uh, bounce anything with them, um, as well as, as attorneys and persons in the private sector that might have those uh, death or serious bodily injury cases that we work with, we're certainly glad to uh, work with them on that. And I know, uh, Dean, you and Karen have both been very gracious with your time in just helping people kind of maneuver through cases that may be complicated. You know, and I don't think a lot of people realize that that's what a lot of us do in this profession is, you know, it's not all about charging by the hour. We, we all really do give so much to guide people in the right direction. I mean, somebody might call for honestly a half hour, uh, 45 minutes, and then, you know, because they might be crying or upset, and, you know, we, we understand and empathize to the point that we can, um, and we do try to give them the guidance. And maybe we're just not the right people, but we can give them the right person. Maybe they need a, a, a different forensic expert, or maybe they need an attorney first. And that actually happens a lot. You really need to have an attorney first because this is not quite what you think it is. There's there's legal issues involved. Sometimes it's for their own protection. We get calls from people that think they're going to be under investigation for different things. Um, we haven't had anybody ever call us to say they might be under investigation for murder. Um, <laughs> we, we, but responsible for a death, yes, we have had those calls, such as maybe they were drunk driving and, and or something. We say, mm, we're not the people first. You need to call the attorney first, you know. Or maybe they were involved in a motorcycle accident. We do a lot of motorcycle litigation cases in several states. They need to talk to the attorney first, and, and there's reasons for that, not just because it's the logical first step to us, but there's confidentiality, work product, and things like that that get involved because if they just hire us under Colorado licensing laws, we could be subpoenaed by another attorney, and we'd have to give that over. It could be fought, but that would cost the client money. But right. if they hire an attorney first, then 
you know, that's all protected automatically. So we try to explain to people and other investigators, sometimes they call us to bounce things at us. Um, Sometimes they just want to, because we've been around for so long. um, And I've been in several associations like yourself. So I know they call you and do the same thing. And they just want to know, where do I get the right education, the right book, or, or how do I market a little bit different? Or am I charging the right rate? I, I don't know if they're charging the right rate. We have an article that explains what we think, right. how they should come up with the rate. But yeah. we explain to them, you know, everything we can to help them out. Because it really is about, um, you know, together we're all better, you know. Yeah. Dean, we have to close the show. We're at the end. Oh, no. I'm so sorry to cut you off here. But uh, just to just to capsulize what we've been talking about, license, skills appropriate for the assignment, experience and knowledge, responsible ethical conduct, good communication, honest, honesty, integrity, and intelligence. So, folks, thank you so much, Dean. Uh, we have to leave. Tune in again next week as we declassify more real stories from real investigators like Dean Beers. It's PIs Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much, Francie. You're welcome. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You've been listening to P.I.'s Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel.